I've been on like a 48-hour study run, so my eyes are crossed and my brain hurts and I need a nap. Yeah, my I've been on like a 48-hour working run, so it's been working a lot. So I shouldn't I shouldn't add that I just woke up from a nap on the couch. I hate you <laughs> yeah. so much. Okay, so welcome back to another episode of That's Not Crazy. We're very excited to have Kyle on with us today, and we're going to start off with our lows and highs. So I'll go first. Uh, my low for the week was frustration. My high for the week was accomplishment. I studied really hard for a test and I did really well on it and that made me feel accomplished and good and happy. But I was frustrated that I had to study. <laughs> nice. And you, my friend? My low for the week was I started therapy a few weeks ago, and each week, it's usually at the end of the week that I'm doing therapy. I've gone to therapy before, but I'm like actually trying to be emotionally honest with myself this time and with my therapist. It just feels very like exposing and raw and open, and at the end of the week, I'm just like, ugh, I just, I just feel so open, and it, I don't like that feeling. It feels very uncomfortable. It's also my high because it also feels, it's like a release. It feels also very good. And sometimes it's its hard, but it's good. And that's my low and high. All on the same, <laughs> same thing. Kyle, would you like to share? Let's see. My low for the week, I'm going to say is uh, confusion. Just some... Uh, life circumstances that are happening that are leaving me a little bit confused and uh, sad. And then my highs, I'm going to say inspired. Mm. And that is because of some conversations that I've had at work around mental health that have really actually brought some breakthrough in the organization that I work for um, and is going to bring some great things. So I am very inspired and uh, eager to start working on those tasks. Awesome. Nice. That's encouraging. I work in a mental health hospital and to see like the burnout in the nurses is so discouraging sometimes. We're supposed to be at our best helping people who are at their worst. And that's just not happening a lot of times because short staff or people just working way too much and not having the, I don't know, I guess not, not have fighting for their self-care and their own mental health too. And it can be very discouraging sometimes. Yeah, I think in these like helping professions, we get so caught up in helping other people at any cost. We sometimes don't stop to think about ourselves and how we're feeling or what we're bringing to the table, like she described. The priority shift at the end of the day that has to occur uh, is probably very <laughs> difficult, especially at the end of the day for um, a routine like you guys have. So. Yeah, so I work the psych unit per diem, so I could just go in whenever I want. And today, one of the other employees came in, and he was like, wow, it must be nice to just, like, 
work whenever you want. And I'm like, it really is. (laughs) It is. It's awesome. (laughs) He's like, I would like to not be here when I don't want to be here. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you can, like, you can choose to be per diem too. I mean, I have another job that I really like with hospice as well. So I get to go back and forth and it's so good for my mental health. Like I know not everybody has that option or those choices, but it's, it's taken me a long time to get to that point. And I totally, and Molly does too, advocate for people to do those things that are good for their mental health, especially when you're helping people. You got to figure out what works for you. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit, a little bit about you. Yeah, this is, and should I just share with everyone, this is like a little awkward because we already did a whole episode and it was awesome and engaging and we were just like, yeah, this is cool. And then the audio got messed up. So we're re-recording. So it's like trying to pretend like we haven't talked already, but we have. (laughs) It feels a little weird. <laughs> Tell our audience about who you are and and what you do. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Kyle. I currently work for Amazon as a designer on the Alexa team. Um, so getting to work in big tech is a, a pretty cool opportunity. Um, and like I was mentioning, getting to share stories or my work around mental health um, in such a large organization is really exciting. So I guess to, to fill in that gap, I do as much advocating for mental health um, in my spare time that I can, including at work when I'm not working on projects. Because of my experiences and different things that I've had to overcome over the last few years led to me actually wanting to spread awareness, um, which is how it started about what I was going through because I knew that I couldn't be the only one. And because of contacts from early on in my career, I was able to executive produce and host a podcast for a global mental health uh, organization, um, interviewing athletes and celebrities about their stories and trying to normalize the commonalities that we all go through that can create trauma and manifest itself in different mental health uh, conditions. And so that's how I really got started uh, advocating for mental health. And it comes from a place of experience and um, overcoming. But uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me. And that's what I'm doing on the show tonight is is uh, just trying to give back any way I can. Yeah. So you said you had some mental health struggles. Can you go into that a little bit? What were they? What was that like? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was about 14, I first experienced anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder. And that was from trauma that was based around family dynamic, my home life, uh, specifically divorce and isolation and taking care of one of my parents from an early age. And then probably around 16, 17, I started to experience uh, OCD. I, at that time, was a competitive skateboarder traveling up and down California for a uh, organization called Castle, which is California Amateur Skateboarding League. And OCD originated um, in my skateboarding, and it didn't take long for it to manifest itself in my everyday life. Um, so instead of tapping my board four times before I tried a trick, it was turning off light switches and faucets and all kinds of stuff. So my ritualistic behavior and negative thoughts um, really started to control my daily routines. I, like most people, just stuffed those feelings way deep down inside and never did anything about it. And then uh, 
skip ahead to 27 years old, I was going through a pretty bad breakup and one night decided to disconnect from the situation. Um, so I started to experience panic attacks uh, as well as um, dissociative uh, symptoms. That was a big wake up call for me, me out of work for a long time, was on disability, lost everything really right before the pandemic uh, hit is really the rock bottom. And it wasn't until 2019, 2020 that I was able to get back to work, was uh, getting back into relationships with my friends, with a partner, getting back to myself. Mm. Here we are, 2021. I'm healthy again. I'm happy. I'm living my life. But it's not without a lot of hard work and overcoming some some pretty hard obstacles on the way. So you mentioned some dissociating. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, what that is for people who don't know and how it showed up for you? Definitely. Yeah. And you guys could correct me if I'm wrong, because um, I, you know, it, it's only been a couple of years that that term has actually been in my vocabulary. So the way that I experienced it was, or it was explained to me, was that I had been operating at such a high level with my anxiety. So if you think about like a car engine that is just constantly revving at, you know, 7,000 RPMs, eventually something's going to give, right? And my engine, quote unquote, was going for way too long, way too high because I wasn't doing anything to actually deal with. Um, with the underlying issues that was causing all of my anxiety. I just was telling myself that this is part of my life. This is part of, this is just who I am. And this is just what I have to live with, which is a lie. Did you think it was normal? Like, did you think, oh, everybody does this? I didn't think it was normal. I just felt like, you know what? Other people deal with things too. And I'm probably no different. Not to the extent of the symptoms I was dealing with, but just the fact that like, what is normal, you know? Right. The way it was explained to me was my brain has a safety mechanism to protect itself um, from further damage. Um, So similar to people who have experiences with PTSD, um, when something traumatic happens, uh, their brain goes into protection mode to keep itself functioning. But when you start to experience that disconnect, um, that dissociation, Uh, from whatever event is occurring or experience, it definitely manifests itself in different ways for everybody. But there are symptoms that come along with that, at least in my experience. Um, And so that included uh, panic attacks, loss of feeling in in my limbs. So like uh, almost like out of body experiences, daydream like vision, uh, delayed vision. Uh, there's all, all kinds of symptoms that I could go on and on about. I don't want to trigger anybody listening. But if there is someone listening that is going through dissociation, there is a way out and uh, just keep keep fighting that battle because um, there is there is another side to that. I kind of call it like going to a different place almost. And that can show up for people in different ways. Like you said, like people with PTSD maybe go to the place of their trauma or they retreat into some other area to protect themselves from trauma but it's like your brain goes to a different place that's what kind of clicks for me when i think about it definitely our brains are so incredible just the things that our brains do to protect us and help us when i started looking at it with some of that grace of like wow my brain is trying to protect me in this situation like i've 
had a very traumatic event and I do not remember it. And my that's my brain saying like, we can't deal with this. And it's coming up now because I'm in a healthier, safer place where I'm able to deal with some of these things. And my brain is just like, okay, we're healthy and we're safe and we can do this now. And um, just giving myself that grace. I used to beat myself up a lot. Like, why can't I like figure this thing out? Like, I, I don't understand beating myself up about it made it worse. And it was my brain's way of just like continuing to shut off. Like, no, you're, this isn't, you're not ready for it. It's like you have a, you have a partner there. Um, can sometimes be frustrating. Yeah. It took, it took me a while to come to a much different perspective. Like you were saying of being appreciative of that happening because yeah, it can put you in a, in a weird place when you're going through it. But yeah, thankful that our bodies are equipped to, understand how to handle trauma like that and and move through it, which is the most important part. Yeah. I think when uh, we recorded last time, I talked about a way of, of disconnecting when I was little. That was kind of funny. And that was, uh, I had a lot of earaches when I was a little kid. We're talking like kindergarten days. I would nap a lot in class. I mean, I still nap a lot as an adult, like I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, but I, I napped a lot <laughs> in school as well. And... I remember thinking to myself that if I go to sleep while everyone else is in class, when I wake up and the day is over, that everybody else went through the day on my timeline, you know? <laughs> and so it, it was almost a way of like, it was a grandiose idea, but yeah, it was almost a way of like disconnecting from class in a weird way. I thought I was helping my classmates. You're welcome. <laughs> Cool, we're out of school now, guys. You're welcome. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you figured out you had anxiety and like when did you come up that like, oh, what this is is OCD and this is an anxiety disorder? Like how did you put language to it and what was that process and journey like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I was 14. Uh, I was living at my mom's house at the time. Um, my mom is disabled, but is doing much better these days. Um, thank goodness. But at the time was going through a really difficult time. Um, and so I was doing a lot of caretaking. I had very little supervision and had truancy issues at school. And just, it, it was it was a tough home situation. And I remember we were all getting ready to, you know, get our permits and drive and we're all getting, it was that time of time of our lives. We're all getting stoked about that stuff. And so we're all turning 15 and my buddy had called me and told me he was going to be outside of my house in a few minutes. And he's like, oh, I just bought this. Mom just got me this car. And I was like, what kind of car is it? And I hear him in the background go, mom, what kind of car is this? <laughs> and I was like, oh, you shit. You don't even know. He's like, oh, it's an accurate RSX. And I was like, you have to be freaking kidding me, dude. That was the car I wanted. I mean, I had pictures on my fridge of it. I had it like priced out like all the wheels I wanted and like all this stuff, just funny teenager <laughs> stuff. Um, and he pulls up and of course I was his best friend. So I'm like super stoked for him. But at the same time, you know, I was like, dang, like this is the car I wanted. And so my mom being the best mother in the world that she is, tried to get me an accurate RSX. And I remember sitting in my room. It was that summer, so I must have just turned 15. And 
she got the phone call from the dealership that we were denied for the car knowing the position my mom was in it wasn't like it wasn't a shock to me that it happened like I wasn't I, I didn't actually expect us to get the car but I loved her for trying and for some reason that I don't know what thought process occurred I can't remember those details but I just remember feeling my chest starting to get tighter and starting to feel a little short of breath and my arms were tingly and I went into this sudden fight or flight mode, you know, where I got very like scared and like, oh, what am I going to, what do I need to do? And so I carjacked my sister's Ford Focus and <laughs> drove to my girlfriend's house in Santa Maria. Um, it was her parents that had to call the doctor and that was the first time I had heard words put to what I was experiencing. And again, I was experiencing it for the first time. So there wasn't too much of a delay there. But yeah, they're like, yeah, he's experiencing an anxiety attack. And in my head, I was like, nope, I don't know what that is, but I'm definitely dying. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it turns out, yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's when my generalized anxiety disorder uh, first appeared. It's so interesting that that's what kind of like set it off. It's this thing that you kind of expected the outcome. You knew that you weren't going to get that car and how that spiraled into. Yeah, I think it just shows that like sometimes you can't make sense of the trigger. Sometimes the trigger is not this obvious like awful traumatizing thing happens. Sometimes it's a tiny little like icing on the cake or whatever other like colloquialism I can come up with, a straw that broke the camel's back. Something relatively small, but if your brain has been operating at that high level, it might only take one little thing to just knock it down a couple notches and for you to have like a break. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that was well said. I think it, it with everything that was going on, I had a lot of trauma in my life leading up to that point, uh, even at a young age with divorce. And uh, my sister's a leukemia survivor, so I watched her battle cancer at a really young age. And yeah, I think that it is exactly what it was. It was the straw that broke the camel's back, you know. Um, I wonder if watching her experience cancer kind of contributed to you minimizing your own symptoms. Like, oh, I have anxiety. It's not cancer. Like, I'm fine. I don't have anything to complain about. Yeah, I definitely did throughout my life, um, you know, because it, it, it seemed less important, Yeah, which was something to, you know, I, I don't think I've ever really talked to my family about, but yeah, it just didn't, it, it paled in comparison. You know, I, I was there, I, I was, I was young, but I do have a lot of memories from living at the Ronald McDonald house and going to Stanford all the time and thought her doctor was the guy from Blue's Clues. Um, <laughs> So that was cool. The cafeteria had great frozen yogurt and all the doctors gave it to me. So yeah, for me, it was fine. But yeah, it was really, it was sad to watch her go through that, um, especially now being an adult and knowing the battle she fought. But, you know, going back to when I first experienced anxiety and the, the car situation, and I say this to be kind of funny a little bit, but also serious at the same time, like everyone around me knows that I have a problem with buying new cars. And that's like my issue. That's your issue? 
that's one of my financial issues. Uh, so I'm starting to think there's a there's a connection um, as we're as we're recording this. I mean, I literally just today, as I was getting out of church, I just sold I just sold um, my my truck, and uh, I have a hundred pound German Shepherd, and I have a new SUV that I don't want to put my German Shepherd in. And so I was talking to my buddy. I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to buy another truck. And he's like, why would you buy another truck? And I said, well, my dog needs to be able to go to the beach. He said, so you're going to buy a car for your dog is what you just said to me. (laughs) I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You're like, if I want a car, I'm going to buy one. So do you still struggle with OCD? Yes. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yes and no. (laughs) Um, That's a good, that's a good lead in. So when I was when I was really struggling with OCD, um, like I said, I was com- I was competing in skateboarding, and there's one moment that sticks out to me pretty vividly. Um, so I was in state championships down in Ontario, California, and there was a lot of big names there. Uh, Ryan Sheckler came up in Castle. Nigel Houston came up in Castle. Tony Hawk and his sons were there. Uh, Riley Hawk was there. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of big people there and I wanted to really skate my best. Just to clarify, I wasn't competing against Ryan Sheckler. He was uh definitely a couple notches above me. <laughs> I wanted to skate my best. I remember telling myself that if I didn't land my run, that something bad was going to happen to a family member. And that was my way of making sure that I tried my hardest to land every single trick because anyone that knows me knows that I wear my heart on my sleeve and I have a big heart and I would never ever want something bad to happen to anyone I care about. So that was really my way of like pushing myself. And that brought me to my knees when I was maybe 16. I remember just not being able to take it anymore, not being able to take like the, the, the repetition of like the negative thoughts. And they had, they had tried to, I say they, like there are some evil people behind this. Um, no, uh, my family took me into a nice psychiatrist. <laughs> it's not the government, right? Is you know, people trying to help you? Um, I was expecting like the cops. Yeah, <laughs> somebody. <laughs> my mom, my sweet mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My parents took me to a psychiatrist, and they put me on Lexapro uh, when I was seventeen. They were saying, uh, they were telling me I was depressed. And I was like, no, I'm a teenager. And that's just how we feel. And <laughs> the Lexapro, unfortunately, didn't work for me. I was younger. My brain was undeveloped. So I experienced some of the side effects that people do uh, at a younger age with Lexapro. But skip ahead to today, I haven't really experienced OCD. Like, I don't even think about it. I haven't thought about it in years. I'm I'm on Lexapro. Lexapro is what saved my life. Lexapro and Ativan um, from when I had those crazy panic attacks and my brain was like, nah, we're not doing any of this anymore. Like you're going to get <laughs> help or we're not turning back on. I was at the skate park. Yep. I'm 30 years old and I was at the skate park this week, and, which is funny enough in itself. Um, were you on a scooter? No, I was not on a scooter, but there were 30-year-olds and older that were, and it was concerning. So, <laughs> Yeah, in our area, the skate park has a reputation of just being dominated by little kids on scooters. Little kids on scooters? Totally cool with it. Grown men on scooters wearing re- wedding rings? Not cool with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that guy's going home somewhere, and I'm not sure where. 
<laughs> Not that we judge. We're very inclusive and understanding of all. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I, I'm not one to judge. Uh, you know, I felt very out of place at the skate park. You know, when I was younger, I was part of the crew The you know, we owned the skate park, whatever parks we were at. And here I am 30 years old, could barely walk, trying to get on a skateboard. You know, there's all these 14, 15 year old kids shredding around me and they're like, Hey, can you move? Can you, you know, like, <laughs> Hey old man, get out of the way. And the little kids on scooters are like, bro, what are you doing here? <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, I was, uh, I was pretending to skateboard and (laughs) I had a moment where some of the OCD rep, like the, um, like the actual obsessive compulsions that I would have came back for a moment and it really took me by surprise. Um, like Mm -hmm. I was sitting there and it kind of happened again. I was like, so just for context, I had the worst dead leg. So just from never using these muscles, my right leg was completely locked up, like my whole calf. I was like, if I don't land this run, this bad situation is going to happen. And I was like, did I just do that? Like, I'm 30 years old and that just happened again. Hmm. And I pushed myself until I landed the run because I had that stupid thought. And then I couldn't walk afterward. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, so I made a joke about the OCD. Like, do you have OCD because you want to get a car for your dog? And um, that totally diminishes what OCD really is. Like, it is so harsh. And it's more than just, like, liking things really clean or, like, liking things really organized. I feel like you hear that thrown around a lot. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, sorry, I'm OCD. Like, I need to clean this. Like, "Eh, it's not OCD. Like, there's a lot more to it than just clean surfaces and no dog hair. Yeah, um, thank you for sharing that. What that really is for somebody who is experiencing OCD—it's harsh. It's hard. Yeah, and it shows that you are also rewiring those pathways in your brain, and you were able to see what, like, oh, I did that thing. Like, uh, there is that pathway there, and it's still there. But I'm like, I have this other pathway, and I noticed just now that I went this way instead of this way. And mm-hmm. that's that's really cool to see and hear about. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely progress. And it definitely it definitely is like a signpost of how far I've come to be able to be self-aware of that stuff. And what's nice is like after after that happened, it was it was over with like, it's not something that kept happening. So yeah, that's that's my experience with OCD. Yeah. And you sounds like you're being very gentle with yourself too, with it, which is also really nice to hear. I mean, just to be super vulnerable, I mean, I lost everything when I started experiencing dissociation. I mean, I lost friends, family members, didn't want to be a part of my life, relationships, uh, intimate relationships were non-existent, and my job and, and everything. So everything about me that my life was filled with was gone. Your identity, everything that made up who you are. Exactly. I mean, I wasn't able to drive. I wasn't able to go to friends' houses because of panic attacks. I could barely get outside my mom's house. What I learned is that not everybody has the same emotional intelligence as the next person. Not everybody is able to empathize. Some people do their best to sympathize. Other people pretend like, hey, you look fine. You must be fine. I learned that if you don't block that out and really be true to what you're feeling and what you're experiencing, 
you can let those other opinions um and not at anyone's fault it's not their fault you know they're not aware of what of how it's affecting you or maybe what they don't real what they don't understand but um yeah if you don't if you don't protect your own thoughts and feelings about what you're going through it's going to be much much more difficult to climb that mountain um and so yeah being gentle with yourself having grace for yourself understanding it's okay to have a bad day it's okay to be going through what you're going through it's okay to ask for help being okay with not being okay yeah that's what this podcast is all about that's what we want to keep advocating for and i just so appreciate your vulnerability and your honesty about what you have experienced and continue to go through so how does anxiety show up for you now and what helps Thankfully, it doesn't show up as much now. Um, I'm in a really good place. I've got a great medical team um, and support team. Uh, my family now all understands, and it took a lot. It took a lot of work, a lot of hard conversations, um, a lot of fears for me to overcome to get here. But you know, right now the anxiety is few and far between. When it does come up, it feels much more like being overwhelmed rather than unexpected anxiety attacks. So now I can actually sense when I am either in a toxic situation or environment that could create something like that, or I'm pushing myself too hard at work, which was a big problem, or um, yeah, toxic relationships, anything of that sort. It's, it's now minimalized because I'm able to be much more self-aware yeah, it sounds like you can recognize those triggers before it gets out of hand, whereas maybe earlier on you didn't know or you didn't notice until it was all a full panic attack. Exactly. And I think one thing I've gotten really good at as I've gotten older, too, is saying no. Boundaries, our favorite word. <laughs> That's not something kids are good at, obviously. Well, they're good at saying no to their parents, but they're not good at saying no to their friends. And so, yeah, being much older now, it's... uh if there's a situation that I don't want to be in, I say no and I have no shame or I, I don't have FOMO, you know, I don't, I, there's no fear of missing out. It's like, I'm content with how I feel. Yeah. Not out of avoidance, but just out of like boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Self-preservation and protection. Yeah. What do you wish more people knew about anxiety and anxiety attacks, panic attacks? feels like a punch in the gut. It feels like you're you're swimming in a, a dark sea alone when you're having a panic attack or an anxiety attack. I often hear people describe it as feeling like you're drowning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's... Uh, I think the hardest part for me, just to be very specific about what's been tough for me with my experiences and then being an advocate of mental health, is when people say, you're not in it alone. That is something that was really, really difficult for me when I was dealing with anxiety, when I was dealing with panic attacks, because when you're going through it and you hear you're not in it alone, all you can think of is, uh, you're not in my body experiencing what I'm experiencing unless you can somehow miraculously stop this. Uh, yes, I am. And that's so easy to go down that rabbit hole. Obviously, what people are trying to say is, you know, you're dealing with what you're dealing with. And although I can't physically help you, you are around people who support you and will take care of you. And there are other people out there that are going through similar things. 
that can relate to what you're going through. So I just, I, I think I, I want people to know that anxiety does not have a face. Anxiety does not have, uh, I use it in my, in my poetry, uh, a crutch or a cast. Um, it's not something that you can see, generally speaking, unless someone's actually in an attack, which for me, you couldn't even see if I was having an attack. I got very good at hiding them. I was able to give presentations at work while having a full-blown anxiety attack and no one noticed. So I just want people to be aware that, you know, if someone in your life, whether that be at work or in your personal life is talking about anxiety, that's not something to be taken lightly. They're going through a difficult time. They're fighting a battle that maybe you don't understand. And I think the best way to help that person is to communicate with them. Allowing those type of conversations to happen um, is very therapeutic um, and helpful for those individuals to feel understood, to feel heard, to feel supported. Nice. Um, I have somebody that I'm very close to and love dearly who is experiencing really bad anxiety right now. She's having a lot of that anticipatory anxiety and it's debilitating. What advice would you give to me as somebody who loves her very much to help her in this situation or throughout this time it's been going on for a little while now and it's just tough and it, it hurts yeah that's um um it's very difficult i'm sure i've had family members extend the same sentiment to me afterwards is that they just didn't know how to help and so i can uh i can appreciate where you're coming from i think and and i know every individual is different but I know for me, a lot of times I just needed a hug and for someone to let me know that it doesn't matter what time of the day, what time of the night, like I'm here for you and like I'm in this with you. And that's so much different than, you know, you're not going through this alone, but someone mm -hmm. actually saying like, I'm going to walk through this situation with you and we are going, we are going to get through this. You know, the work still obviously comes down to the individual that's going through the tough situation to overcome their fears, such as anticipatory anxiety, right? Is based around fears of what could happen. And, you know, that's going to, that's, that's obviously going to take the work of that individual, but having that support system makes a world of difference. I know that love is what pulled me out of my hole. Um, I mean, I was in the darkest place I've ever been in during the pandemic, 30 years old, living at my mom's house, unemployed. And it was love and unconditional love from a partner that made me realize that, like, I'm worth getting out of this hole, right? Like, there's value in me seeing what's on the other side of this. Um, and that I know that was motivational for me. So, yeah, my advice would just, just that, that unconditional partnership. Yeah, thank you for that. You mentioned that you're on Lexapro now and you had had a bad experience with it before. Was that a challenge to restart that, knowing that you have had a bad experience with it? Uh, a challenge is one word. <laughs> I think my therapist and psychiatrist would use different words, Dif like difficult, untreatable, maybe. <laughs> uh, no. Faithful, non-compliant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there was times where like, Kyle, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, you don't want to do the work. Then if you don't change the recipe, you're going to get the same 
outcome, right? So yeah, you know, there is a lot of trauma too around medication in my family. So when I started going through, uh, when I started to acknowledge uh, in 2017, because of the dissociative symptoms, I had no choice but to acknowledge it. I tried everything under the sun to not take medication because of the trauma that was in my life around medication. I tried acupuncture, I tried light therapy and like crystals and like hyperbaric chambers, all kinds of different like electricity and lights and stuff. I had every test that you can have. Did you ever try moon water? Never tried. Oh, wait. No, but I did drink. Silver water. I did drink water that was prescribed to me with using like light therapy on the water. I just have, I worked with somebody today who puts her water out in the moon so the moon could somehow make it better. Yeah. I mean, if, if she feels like that's, if, if that person feels like, like it's helping, that's great. But it didn't help. It didn't not work for me. Um, none of that stuff worked. Western med or Western uh, tests, MRIs, every blood test you can have. Other tests I won't talk about on here because it's disgusting. <laughs> and then yeah, all the everything in between. It wasn't until so my I'll just say it my partner that I recently separated from. Her brother actually has dealt with a lot of the same things I have. It was because of him that I actually tried medication again. Through sharing his story with me, uh, more specifically, it opened my mind to trying medication. I can't remember what the first medication I tried, but I went through like two or three different SSRIs. That just they didn't work. I had side effects from... And it was like trying to get a child to take medication. Like I literally had to have my best friend come over and like basically hold my da- hold me down to take my medication. And, and keep in mind, I was thirty years old. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was tough, but I'm thankful now that I've gotten over that fear. And once I got on Lexapro, which I had swore off from when I was seventeen, it's like I'll never try that stuff again. I took that and two weeks later I was driving and got my life back. I was able to be out and about. And I mean, it's insane how quickly my body was like, oh, okay. Like this is what we needed. I like all of a sudden had all this energy and my mind was clear. And yeah, it's been, it's definitely been a blessing. Yeah, that's, that's really good to hear. I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so this might be a weird question, but can you name any like gifts that you might have or think that um, having anxiety has created in your life? Are there any gifts to anxiety? Yeah, gifts. Gifts is an interesting word. Um, definitely. Um, I think I've. I, I like I like your perspective of looking at them as gifts. To me, I've just always said like silver lining, but I definitely like gifts. Yeah, being able to being able to give back, being able to talk about my experience, being able to be on the other side of this. Um, you know, there was days where I didn't think that would ever happen. Being able to educate, whether it's my family or coworkers or loved ones, or sometimes even doctors, believe it or not, um, about what what I went through, what helped me. Yeah, it's been definitely a gift to be able to give back 
through my experience. You know, if, if I had to go through what I went through in order to keep one person from committing suicide or hurting themselves or someone else, um, or just in general, giving up on themselves, then to me, it was all worth it. And I don't say that in like a, I'm on a podcast, so I'm going to say something nice. Like I genuinely mean that from the bottom of my heart. I have friends that struggle. I have family that struggle. Um, coworkers now open up to me because of my story. Um, and I've had the opportunity to share on multiple podcasts and across different businesses and industries. And, um, it's been amazing to be able to be a spokesperson within my circles to advocate for mental health and help people feel that, that there's hope and that there's people that understand. And there is a goal on the other side. You know, I, I think I mentioned last time, um, one of the individuals I had the chance to interview was Theo Fleury, um, who was a Stanley Cup champion in the NHL. And he has an incredible story. Um, very, very traumatic story, but it's just such an incredible guy. He had sent me hit one of his books, and on the inside cover it said, Don't give up before the miracle. That that was his gift. Um, was sharing his story and passing along messages like that. And it's what stuck in my brain to not give up. And so I would say I'm just trying to do the same. I I would say that's my gift. Uh, It's also boosted my creativity for some reason. Some of the most creative things come out of difficult times in people's lives. And that's been a a common theme through a lot of the conversations I've had since I've started uh, advocating. And it's definitely been true in my life. I've branched out to do abstract art just to be clear i'm i'm a i'm a ux designer which means like i basically build like apps and websites and stuff so it's just moving around a lot of boxes and telling people how things are going to work when i say designer like i'm not drawing things i can't draw very well (laughs) despite like three years of drawing classes in art school but uh yeah i've done abstract art um i've done poetry i've done music yeah, it's it's definitely boosted my creativity. So I I challenge people out there, you know, if you're going through something right now, allow it to foster itself in good ways too. I was going to ask, like, if somebody out there is in the middle of that darkest dark point, what advice would you give them or what would you want them to hear? Or what's one thing that maybe would have helped you or... That you think could help someone else if they're going through it right now? Yeah, a couple things. Number one, again, don't give up before the miracle. I'll quote uh, Theo Fleury on that one. I think that definitely saved my life. So thank you, Theo, if you hear this. And then there is no normal is something important to understand. There is your normal. There is not a baseline of normal everybody is going through something everyone has a battle that they're fighting we all face common challenges in life um, that affect our mental health and what you're going through is no different you're okay Um, it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to ask for help the best thing that you can do is advocate for yourself at all times i do too that was a really good question Well, Kyle, I have to say you have been such a gift to us. So thank you so much. And you have educated us on quite a bit when it comes to anxiety. 
So yeah, thank you so much for what you're doing. Also, thank you for your spoken word poetry. I think it's absolutely beautiful. It's been very helpful for some people in my life who have listened to it. And it's it's just beautiful. And we're going to play it at the end of this episode, too, so that everybody else can listen to it. It's one of my favorite things to hear about anxiety because the way you have talked about it was just like it was a person that you were fighting. And as a fighter, I get that. <laughs> and I like that. Yeah, it was really good. So thank you for that. And thank you for the gifts that you've been sharing. Yeah, I just want to say thanks for being so open and honest and real about all this. That's like our whole goal with this podcast is to just get people talking and being honest about their feelings and their experiences. And like you said, recognizing that we all go through stuff and we all have challenges and some of them are common, like you said, and some of them are unique to us. Like nobody knows what I'm going through, but we're all going through something. And I think we can find support in each other just based on that bottom line. Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. Very well said. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. I'm I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing um, and honestly honored to be a guest. And I'm really excited to see all of the work um, that you guys are going to accomplish through this. And so I just wish you guys all the best with this and uh, hope to hope to talk again soon. Yeah. All right. Thank well, you so much. Thank you. Um, thanks everyone for listening. You can find us on Instagram at that's not crazy podcast. If you like the episode, leave us a review, share it with a friend, follow us on the gram. Bye. When I look at you, I feel sick to my gut for all the damage you've done, and all the doors you've shut. The years of recovery turned to dust. Lies, torture you caused, for what? I know all about you, I know I'm not the only one. You ruined the lives of plenty others, and you did it for fun. Some escaped, others chose pills or a gun. But I'm choosing to divorce you, you and I are done. You've stolen enough from me and I can't get back that time. Nights when I felt alone, like I was losing my fucking mind. Moments of depression when you broke me inside. All those nights alone, I sat there and cried. How about the anxiety attacks and sleepless nights? The panic, depression, the lows and highs? The thousands of dollars missing in mine? Or how about the fleeting feelings of understanding suicide? How about the sexual temptations? The delayed vision, balance, and disorientation? Numbness of my nerves, palpitated heart racing, or all the moments spent on my knees praying, pleading, and begging. What about all the doctors that don't believe me? What about all the women that didn't understand and chose to leave me? What about all the tests and procedures that leave me bleeding? And the friends and family that think I'm kidding? How about all the days I was too afraid to go outside? The friends and family I couldn't recognize as mine? Lack of continuity and moments of time and that despite all this, everyone thinks that I'm fine. You know, you've done a lot of damage and some may be blind because the pain you cause can't be seen on the outside. There's no crutch, no cast, no black and blue eyes, but I promise when I'm done with you, you'll have a face to be recognized. That's right, I'm not done. Where do you think you're going? There's nowhere to run. 
I'm gonna put you on display while I have my fun. Let's see how you like being on the other end of this for once. Does it hurt to know that you didn't win? That despite all your fucked up games and dirty tricks, that I never gave up, I never gave in, when you stood up to fight, that I rose from within? Well, how about when I got lost, I learned who I am? Now, when you told me I couldn't, I believe that I can. When you knocked me down, I stood up again. Well, now I know you like the back of my hand. Now I know when you're there, but I give it no thought. You don't define me anymore, you're just something I've got. Now it's up to me if you control me or not, so I think you should take a back seat while I finish my thought. See, through all this, I just became more self-aware. And I battled every symptom until I was no longer scared. I helped others like me know that I cared. And that mental illness is, well, it's just like fighting an empty chair. Before we part, there's something you need to remember. You may have fucked my memory, but it only made me more clever. And that it may have sparked a handful of healthy endeavors. But it was all to make sure that you'll regret that night in November. (laughs) 